Hey friends, does preaching still have a role today in your spiritual development? And what's the role that it should have? Our guest today on Halfway There suggests that preaching done right is spiritually nourishing for both the preacher and the listener. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 346, Lisa Lamb and the Spiritual Formation of Preaching. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited that you're here, that you've downloaded. I know that you will hear some amazing stories in this episode. I hope it encourages you along the way for sure. Let me remind you the best compliment you can pay is to tell somebody about this show. Uh, I love it when you post a show on social media, tag me, and let people um, you know know that you like to listen. And for those of you who would love to contribute financially, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button, and it just helps support some of the uh, you know expenses that come up with podcasting. There are quite a few. So I appreciate those of you who do that. Thank you very much. Hey, let's get into our conversation. I would love to do that. I'm excited about this one. Our guest is a professor of preaching, a writing, or a writer, a pastor working to equip leaders in Southeast Asia. Uh, her passion is to develop leaders who preach radically good news, deeply rooted in scripture. I love that. And she's been on this really interesting journey uh, during to seven countries, and she's going to tell us all that. Our guest is Lisa Lamb. Lisa, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be with you. I'm excited to have you and to connect. It's, it's uh, definitely sounds like you've been on quite the journey with uh, all those kinds of things. That's kind of the broad strokes, but tell me a little more about kind of who you are and where God has you right at the moment. Yeah, we are serving in uh, Southeast Asia, and we're um, we live in Malaysia, and uh, uh, we uh, we do travel from there as we're able. We're going to Nepal next week, and we spent all of last summer, almost eight weeks in India, uh, uh, really in in uh, seven different cities in India. So we uh, have kind of a, a regional reach, but we're rooted here, and uh, I'm serving at three different um, Bible colleges or pastoral training centers um, here, and uh, overall just loving it. There's a lot of challenges, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good life. It's fruitful. It's enjoyable. I feel like I'm really getting to use my gifts and mm. really grateful. Yeah, I love that. And um, so you're you're teaching. It's an interesting part of the world, right? To to be uh, teaching those those kinds of things for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a land of belief, which is uh, a different uh, context than the U.S. You know, the sure the, there is the the default here is belief in the spirit realm, the the uh, transcendent. You know, that's not. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of secular uh, post-belief people here, but, uh, you know, 80% of Malaysia is Muslim. And then the the, uh, the the population that is Chinese and Indian brings a lot of uh, Buddhist and Hindu strong belief. And they're, I love the way this country honors each other's beliefs uh, in, um, there's lots of holidays here. <laughs> <laughs> we celebrate them all <laughs> um, and decorate, go all out to decorate. <laughs> oh, cool. That's for, great. For them all. So it's a colorful city. It makes for a very vibrant, lively scene here. There's always fireworks going off for some holiday. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I like fireworks. Those are fun. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, you you should come to, to, to KL. There's, there's always fireworks going off. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, if I'm honest, I really don't, um, don't know a whole lot about that part of the world. So I'd love to learn maybe a little bit as we go, but I'm getting, you, you weren't born there, right? So you, so no. I want to hear more <laughs> about your story. Let's go back and hear about how you got there. So where, where did you grow up and what was that context like for you? Yeah, I grew up in California in, uh, uh, I sometimes say San Jose before it was Silicon because, you know, it's famous <laughs> for how expensive its houses are. Get this, Eric, my 
parents bought our house, four bedroom house on a good size lot for $24,000. Wow. <laughs> So it was a different place, but I did and, grow and up. And now it's probably worth about $3 million, right? So, so <laughs> Not quite. I should Zillow it. That'd be interesting to see it what, what it is now. Yeah, but I know I did Zillow it once a few years ago, and it was definitely in the like $1.8 or something. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Crazy. If only we could have held on. But right. yeah, uh, really uh, loving parents, uh, strong Christian background, not in the sense of uh, not super like knowledgeable about the Bible, but deep people of prayer. Um, my mom was in a prayer group that was very significant to her. And in the summer, it morphed into it met at the beach. Um, nice. We would pile in cars and go over to the beach and uh, they would pray and share their lives and kids would splash in the sand and the waves. But so I grew up, yeah, just with a, I would say just a really strong, healthy faith background overall, you know, just, I, I've listened to some other podcasts about kind of some toxic aspects of things and deconstructing. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really felt like I fell into a lot of that, at least not until a little later. <laughs> Right. I, I got into some strains that were a little uh, that I've definitely didn't buy into very much in in high school and stuff. But anyway, I I was um, very shaped by having a sister with significant disabilities. I watched my parents really um, serving her so selflessly. What, what was that like? So tell me about about your sister and maybe how that what you learned from her. Yeah, well, I think one thing that has always felt a little inverted for me is people talk about birth order, and I was younger, but I was older because, you know, oh. pretty early on, I was, you know, reading and doing, handling school at a higher level than she was. I was, you know, just in some ways more mature. Uh, she, you know, just uh, so many things were hard for her, and she, you know, didn't always verbalize that in the most <laughs> mature way, let's say, sure. but, um, but she was just the most loyal, uh, fan. She just, she cheered me on in high school when I did my very mediocre gymnastics routine or whatever it was, she was, uh, just out there cheering her heart out. And I think that's one thing I, I, um, uh, really learned from her is that wholehearted, uh, innocent, you know, it's really something I, I think about with worship is she just was so, there was not a cynical bone in her body. So that's, mm. um, that's one thing I think I, I definitely learned from her. Um, but also just learned from the ways my parents advocated for her over the years and how yeah. that's, that's, you know, everywhere I go, even though I'm not engaged in, you know, advocacy for persons with disabilities, I, I find that that's something I'm, I'm kind of advocating for on the side. Uh, yeah. I, I love what you say there. And I'm reminded of Jesus words that unless you are like a little child, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's just so much uh, to that. And I, I feel like it's very easy to be a cynical person and to approach your life in a fragmented mm -hmm. way that, that the example of living wholehearted and being all in and not being cynical um, is really good. What do you think learning that or seeing that in your sister did for you as you, as you got older? Oh, yeah. You know, I definitely went through a very, you know, I wasn't a rebellious teen, but I was a cynical teen. <laughs> and I That's just, there was normal. something about always going back to her, um, just purity of just, she just, she wanted to uh, hear about my day and was, there was something just so genuine about her expressions of delight and love at, um, the nail color polish that I picked out or, you know, just that it, it sort of humbled me. It always kind of mm. rooted me in these things that I'm so upset about, about my little click breaking up or whatever 
it just pales in comparison to the upcoming surgery she's dealing with or and dealing with with a great attitude overall yeah yeah Yeah. that's good wow that's really interesting okay so you mentioned so you came to christ in this kind of uh you know prayerful uh, christian family and sounds like you had people around that was that was good what how did your faith start to become your own and how did that start to you know, become something that you really personally decided to to choose to do. Yeah, I had a really uh, overall a good high school youth group with a, a youth pastor who really uh, invested in us in some great ways. But I would say that there was something about going away to college that just you know, getting thrown into some courses with really hostile professors and just needing to uh, go back to the foundations. And uh, I I read a lot of those kind of four views on uh, creation and evolution, four views on this, you know, are those, a lot of those books, because I was just in the thick of it. And I had, uh, I was involved in InterVarsity with a, a, a group of uh, people who, and but I was at a college that was quite almost hostile, I would say, um, to Christianity. And so we just were sharpening each other constantly, just willing to go there with all the questions. Um, so that was really formative for me, I would say, uh, the freedom to just explore but in a rooted Mm. it rooted in um you know a love for scripture uh, kind of kind of setting yeah with some really thoughtful people yeah that's interesting and it's really is kind of critical the people that you hang out with right especially in those early years for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I just w- landed in a group of people who were uh, not afraid to ask all the hard questions, but also really loved Jesus and just were uh, enjoying yeah. Jesus together. And yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's good. Okay. So from there, where do you, where do you go and kind of what was, what was really kind of the next season for you, uh, sort of spiritually shaping wise? I would say, um, I, I, uh, had a, a challenging experience where I, I went to seminary straight after college, which I don't know that I really recommend that for a lot of people. I know for some people it, it really works. Um, but I was so, certain of that and I just you know I'd been told since since early maybe junior high I thought oh uh, I want to be in ministry so I'll go to seminary that was sort of the the thing I had heard was how you get ready Mm -hmm. for ministry and um really a few weeks in I just was so struggling with it I thought this isn't this is, I was disillusioned because a number of people seemed to be just in it because it was kind of a safe career. I, um, I had a little more of a missional, I, I was bent and I wasn't seeing other people um, very interested in that. They were really interested in excelling academically in the courses there. And I don't know, it just, it, it, I, and then seemed like that was another experience of asking lots of questions Mm -hmm. of the faith, but not in a culture of uh, a kind of a bottom line trust and love uh, and worship um, setting in this particular seminary at that time. It's actually changed for the better, so I won't won't name it. Uh, Okay, I won't ask then. (laughs) That particular... (laughs) group that I was with, I don't know, that I was walking with was really, the theme theme comes back of cynicism, you know, and so I just, it didn't, it wasn't uh, nurturing my faith. It didn't feel like it was 
So I, and then my sister got in a really terrible car accident crossing the street Mm -hmm. uh, in December. So I left, I just did one semester. So that was, um, that was probably a, a crisis in some ways of not necessarily of questioning my whole faith, but, uh, well, so am I preparing for ministry? What am I doing? Um, how do, yeah. How, yeah. Okay. Well, I got to ask a lot of questions now because I'm curious about, you said you, you thought that you were always kind of called into ministry and that was where you wanted to go. What was your tradition? Because most women don't get to do that. So like, it depends on your tradition. So what was that? Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, I was actually in a pretty liberal Methodist church, which uh, okay. um, I don't um, love everything that I heard and learned from that. But I did have a pastor who just said, when I told him I thought I'd like to be a minister when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11, he said, oh, great. You should go to seminary. So I didn't even know what seminary was, Eric, oh, but right. I thought, okay. okay, I'm going to seminary. <laughs> yeah. So he, he kind of planted that seed for you he and you're did. like, yeah, I got to go. He did. Okay. And yet when you think, Eric, of all the things he could have said, you should learn to love and serve people. You should, <laughs> you should in, right. invest in becoming a leader with integrity. Maybe I'll, you know, let's think about developing some of your gifts. Maybe you could, <laughs> you know, give a five minute talk at some, you know, think about go a little deeper, but just that slap that you should go to seminary on it was kind of, you know, it was a word. I didn't even know what it meant. He didn't tell right. me what it meant. <laughs> Just, you know. Uh, right. Yeah, friends. Listen to that. Like, how often, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this too. How often do you throw something away, just a line that you're like, oh, okay, just respond? And mm-hmm. you never know how people take that, right? And so, you as a little yeah. kid, especially, you took that really seriously and this became oh, your yeah. goal. You wanted to be, but what was the the passion that you had? Like, you wanted to go into, like, what, or what was it? Where were you? Because obviously you must have seen this from very early on, but how that calling, that kind of feeling that God's calling you into something different, like describe that for me, kind of trace that from that time when you were a little kid to get actually deciding to go. Yeah, I have a distinct memory of being, oh, I don't know, 11 at the oldest, I think. And I was, we were in church and the pastor got up to preach and everyone got still and silent and ready to listen. And I just remember looking around the room and thinking, this is cool because (laughs) we don't gather and listen to anyone with attention and intention in that way in very many settings in, in our lives. And, and it was, you know, it was a, good sized congregation, two or 300 people. And every, the stillness in that moment, it was kind of a holy moment for me. I don't remember the sermon. I just, I just remember thinking, wow, something really important happens here. Mm. And I like it. And I wanted to be part of it. And I wanted, so I, I don't think I just wanted to be the star of the show. I think I genuinely love that, you know, he's opening the word and he's going to speak about it. And, and that's, I think that's remained true. That sense of, oh, even today, even in all the craziness and deconstruction and pandemic and uh, mm-hmm. got to do church completely differently. I, I I do agree. We do need fresh streams and whole different expressions of what it even means to preach. But I still think there's something really holy and beautiful when we open the word together. So um, that that was very formative for me, uh, that that longing to be part of that moment. And for me, it hasn't. I do enjoy preaching. But so one other moment, can I share one other moment like yeah, that? Please. I was in, yeah. when I was in high school, I was in a public speaking class and I enjoyed getting up front and trying out the different speeches, but what in the, especially in the uh, 
after school um, club, the, the public speaking teacher would get out this pen and just sit there and move things around and cross out lines and add things. <laughs> and we would just workshop and she would come up with, you know, without redoing it in her image, but she would, I would be like, wow, that is so cool. She just made this a much more effective speech. I want to do that. <laughs> and I, I did, it, it was interesting, you know, the moment wasn't, I want to be a better speaker, but I want to be her. I want to be that coach that makes yeah. other speakers better. Ah, Okay. And I feel like that, that, you know, as I look back on my own calling, uh, those two moments are key for me that I, I had this moment in childhood and literally just a moment of preaching is really important. That just went sunk deep into my, my consciousness. And then, and then this unfolding that happened over many speeches with this teacher of oh, I would like to be that, I would like to be her for others. Yeah, fascinating. Okay, so then you said you went to seminary, but then you left. And so what'd you do? Like, what happened? Did you did you end up going back or what, what happened there? Yeah, I, I once said to my the president of Fuller at the time, Dr. Richard Mao, I, that I thought I should get an award for longest from start to finish of an MDiv because I, I think I calculated once 18 years. Oh, um, wow. Well, <laughs> but you've I got me beat. So I crammed a three-year degree into nine years. So yeah. I, that's that's pretty good. Oh, you, you lose a lot of credits along the way, I can tell you. Because <laughs> they do expire. <laughs> um, right. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, just life happened. Actually, I'm, I'm being a little hard on myself. I did complete an MA. Um, so, so I, I, um, I went, I went on staff with InterVarsity. I um, married my husband. We um, went from California to uh, to Boston to do campus ministry in um, at Harvard, and then uh, more citywide in the city of Boston. Um, and uh, had two kids, helped plant a church, and I did get an MA. Um, but all of that, all of those years kind of put it aside, wasn't really thinking about. And then when uh, my husband got called back to do intervarsity work in on the West Coast, it occurred to us, I could complete that MDiv degree at Fuller. And by then a, a lot of my credits had expired. So uh, I, it really, and I had kids and I didn't want to do it full, full time. So um, I, uh, I took three years, even though I had all of an MA, it just was a little frustrating, but, but so then I was kind of <laughs> at that point, um, because I came in early, uh, because I came in with a degree already, I was able to start, I think my first semester I took homiletics, which usually you have to take later right. in the program. Yeah. And I remember looking at my homiletics professor and it was like those two moments earlier kind of came together. And I said, that's what I want to do. Because I oh, entered, yeah. I went back to the MDiv a little just thinking, I want to complete this degree, but I really don't know that I want to be a pastor. I'm not a charismatic personality. I'm not a gatherer. I'm not a, there's a lot of aspects of the pastoral work that I'm not everybody who pastors needs to have a wildly charismatic personality but you know I just I didn't think that was what I would be best at but I still felt like go, go finish the degree and something is going to emerge for you here and it emerged pretty quickly I I realized I would love to to teach preaching how do you do that um so that's when I realized that that's what I was told uh, you should you'll need need a PhD <laughs> <laughs> right. You're going to have to go Set me on a longer that. road. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good. Wow. I, I really admire that because I had the exact opposite uh, reaction to homiletics. 
I just get me out of here. <laughs> you know, like I did not enjoy it at all. And I, there were other people who are really good, but I, I've grown a lot and maybe I can do a little better speaking today, but boy, whoo, that was a toughie. So I, I, I got like a little sweat going when you started talking about <laughs> oh, the class. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoa, a little trauma. It's all right. It's all right. It's good. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, it's, it brings back memories, but yeah, I, I love it. Well, so, you okay. Know, you, I've had students in preaching classes who, you know, and, and I didn't realize, but there's a lot of them come from Christian colleges where they actually took a preaching class. And mm -hmm. I've heard some really hard stories, like the uh, preaching professor just saying, just stopping them mid-sermon <laughs> while they're up front oh, and saying, man. you know, just something really scolding. <sighs> you might as well quit now. And I, I, I you know, I do think that, uh, it can be traumatic for all sorts of reasons. And sometimes the teacher contributes to creating Man, a culture that's I not think very graceful. I got, yeah, I, I, that is true. I got a couple of passages too, that were just really hard. Like, I don't know why they preach through James. Oh uh, yeah. That's where, a hard where book. I went, Yeah, Which is so disconnected and discombobulated sometimes. And you're like, Oh, so that was a toughie. I wish, but I think they study it for Greek, right? So there's a, there's a, that connection, mm. but yeah, whew, it was just tough for me. And it was, a, it was a hard one. So anyway, but I, I'm appreciate your love for preaching. <laughs> so, so you, you end up finishing and then you just, you have to go get a PhD. What'd you do? So tell me about that. You're like, you're going to go do this. You're going to go get, go get that. What'd you do? Well, I, you know, I just had a reunion yesterday on Zoom with some of our cohort, and we all just were saying how blessed we were because we happened to have a, there was a professor at Fuller, Clay Schmidt, who was a, a he, he kind of began a, a PhD program at Fuller specifically for preaching and that that's not actually a, a PhD program at very many seminaries. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was just such a mentor and a sponsor. He was always pushing us. And he brought us together. He had barbecues at his house. And, you know, but he, um, such that we really wanted to have a reunion several years later. And uh, yeah. it was kind of remarkable. But he... Uh, was anyway uh, it was a, a wonderful experience he he uh, was always giving away the teaching so he would give a, you know get us slotted into guest lectures get us get us teaching uh the course uh it, you know even before we were all the way done with our program uh so very very positive experience of uh my phd um and um, but, but it actually, what, you know, I always hear people talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. And I thought, I didn't feel like I was in a tunnel when I was doing my PhD. I felt like I landed in a tunnel when I graduated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I graduated in 2008, which was, you know, the global recession. Oh, and, okay. and a little minor little piece that I had <laughs> somehow missed along the way. It was, you know, the typical preaching professor has actually preached for several years and then gone back and gotten a PhD. And because I was an university staff worker, uh, a lot of uh, seminaries that are looking to hire a preaching professor, they wouldn't count that as really preaching even okay. though I, I spoke a lot and I was teaching the Bible, but I kind of get it. Um, so then I, I, what I realized I needed to do is um, become a pastor for a while and just get some time miles uh, logged, just preaching weekly. Uh, so mm. I pastored a couple of smaller churches where I was a solo pastor, preached week in, week out really honed and sharpened the craft uh through yeah. that um so there was a little delay i wasn't hired right away um partly because of the global recession and partly because i i needed to get a few more pieces in place yeah i need to get some reps in maybe it sounds yeah. like yeah 
Yeah. Interesting. All right. I have questions about preaching, but I, I want to say first, I can ident- I can relate to that because I graduated seminary in 2009 also. So like, yeah. right. It was perfect timing. Perfect timing. Well, God's timing is always perfect, but it was, it was just not good. And so a lot of the jobs that even were there were gone uh, right. that's for even in churches. And we had little kids. And so I was like, yeah, yeah. If, like, I'm willing to go someplace if I feel like that's the place God's calling me, but I didn't want to move, you know, and on a gamble that a church, right. it might even close the next year. Cause everything was so yeah. precarious. Yeah. There so many was... odd things like that. So with my little kid, I'm really glad we didn't, by the way, uh, because my daughter, one of her friends, she's like college roommates with now. So like you oh, know, everything great. works out, but anyway, so, there, so I, I'm identifying with that for sure. Um, the, but preaching, so then as you're practicing your preaching, tell me about the spiritual formation for you of preaching and preparing, uh, you know, a sermon or kind of how you think about, I think there's maybe two questions. One, what is it like for you? And one, and the other one is, what do you hope that experience is like for a listener? So there's kind of those two mm-hmm, sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a great question. I really believe that preaching is given to people as a gift for them. It is not meant to like, I'm going to use you and, you know, just use you up. And then, mm. you know, you, I, I don't, you know, I know that people burn out for all sorts of reasons and there's no judgment here, but I just don't think that it's inevitable as just a part of a pastor's journey because mm. this God is not very generous to us i think that god god that when it's working as intended preaching is meant to nourish us spiritually that that our time in the word uh you know should be really a gift and so i i really work with my students to delay formal exegesis in the process so uh really favoring a, a lectio or, or a, a journaling, a mm-hmm. prayerful, if communal, if they can, uh, you know, get your household together, whatever that is, your family, your housemates, and, you know, walk through this text together, asking what you love about it, what confuses you, uh, what desires does it spark within you? Uh, what hunger, what, how does it, you know, what lament does it spark for you? Um, so I actually, uh, I almost never teach a preaching class without a good hour on just a, what does it look like to have a personal encounter with this word that is transformative and that is kind of pre-critical <laughs> because mm-hmm. we do need to enter into that, you know, getting into the questions and engaging with scholars. But if we just go there first, uh, I think we really cheat ourselves of that, that depth. I think so too. And so I I'm hearing a lot of things, um, certainly that I resonate with as a spiritual formation guy, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's, uh, beautiful, but I think, yeah, those having those personal experiences, there's some expectations that we have of the text, uh, well, of God's work in the text, right to to us, and the way that we engage Him through it, um, is really really uh, important. And I, interesting. It's hard to do though, isn't it? So, what? At least as a as a like, if I think if I I never did it, I never had to preach every week, right? I create content mm-hmm. every week, but I just have conversations because that's fun. But <laughs> the but trying to do a sermon every week, I think would be really really hard. What do you do? You have any like thoughts on how people do that? Because I think I think I'll just put my cards on the table. I think we're asking pastors a lot of pastors to preach every single week mm-hmm. because how could you possibly do that? Even if you're working weeks and months ahead, right? I just think it takes a lot. Um. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, oh, I would agree. I I do not think it's ideal. I mean, I want to have, you know, when I say, oh, every church should be led by a team, I know that that's just not contextualized for, you know, rural settings where, or just small churches. So I want to be sensitive to, I don't want to say, oh, you know, you're mm. doing it wrong if you're preaching every week, because you may just be in a setting for a season 
where that is what's needed. And that, that was the setting I was in. I just did, I brought, I, but even there, I was still in a lot of networks. And so I would bring in guests um, every, you know, at least every six weeks or so I bring, you mm. know, I had my husband who's a very fine creature and I, I, uh, I had friends that I could bring in just to give a, a little break from that pace. But I think I also learned a rhythm um, and a discipline and some some practices. I learned uh, I learned how to cut to the chase, kind of get to the heart of it. Um, with uh, I, I, I learned how to write well doing that yep. weekly. I learned how to write in a and by writing well, I don't mean the most eloquent but the most kind of clear and crisp um, and for the ear, writing for the ear, writing that's just more conversational. Yeah. Um, so some of it's practice is what you're saying is, is just getting yeah, that rhythm yeah. and learning how to do mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so then I, I kind of asked the other question about what do you hope as you're preparing a sermon is the, is for the receiver, how, how it'll be received for the, for the listener. Yeah, I, I, um, I really try to, when I, I haven't been a, in pastoral ministry directly like that in a little while, but I know that I was working hard to listen to my people throughout the week mm -hmm. to be engaged, visiting them in the hospital, in their homes, in even at their workplaces paying attention around the edges at meetings to their struggles, their needs, their longings, their joys, such that I could be bringing the, the scripture into conversation with all of that, um, letting it connect with the, not just the hard stuff, but the joys too. Um, and so um, I, you know, I, I really do believe that scripture speaks today by the power of the risen Christ. I really do believe that, that it can speak, it speaks a relevant word, um, a timely word. Um, and so I come into preaching with that strong expectation, um, that, that God will do something with in the heart of everyone who comes uh, as God hmm. uh, chooses. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, I feel like I'm kind of setting the table and. Uh, well, I love what you said, bring, bringing the scripture into conversation with people's lives. Right. And I, I really like that actually, because, um, I mean, if I'm, I'm transparent with you, most sermons, I'm not even like preaching is not even, I just, I could take or leave it nine, nine times out of 10. But when you think of it that way, right, as a conversation between me and the Lord and between, uh, us together around scripture and those kinds of ways that then suddenly gets really interesting to me, right? Mm -hmm. I've always said, I've never been in that pastoral role, but I've often, people sometimes ask me if I would do it. And there's lots of situations. Most of the time I'm like, no, I hope not. But, um, the, uh, but what I have told people is that, Hey, look, if we, if I would, I would think of it very, very differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Then I would think of it as creating this conversation between the Holy spirit and the person and the text and looking at it a little bit differently from that way. Right. So that, as a conversation piece rather than a instructional piece, which I think might be a little bit different than the way I grew up for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're hitting some of my buttons. That's good. Uh, so um, let's, so I'm interested. So you did all that. Thank you for going, kind of going down that road a little bit. I'm really, it was really fascinated uh, by, about asking you those questions, but then, so you finish up and then like fill in some of those gaps between there and, and from pastoring uh, 
and getting that experience to today and like how you ended up where you are. Yeah, I had several uh, great years. I, I, they were there were challenging years when I was straddling because as soon as I got hired to be a, a halftime pastor, I, I did get offered halftime work at Fuller. And so I kind of straddled those two for several years, mm-hmm. which was really good, really challenging, but actually grounding my classroom work with, you know, I'm I'm preaching this week too, you know. Uh, yeah. So I was, uh, that was, that was good. And then we took a year, um, long story, but we, we took a year and, and served the InterVarsity's sister movements all over Eastern Europe in 2014. We were in uh, 26 different countries in a year. Um, so that was exhausting. Wow. And yeah. super fun. And just, we learned so much just about the world, about how what the church is struggling with in uh, places like Kyrgyzstan and uh, Kazakhstan and Egypt. And so that was kind of an investment in this kind of calling that we'd had at the back of our minds that we were meant to have more of a global ministry, more of a, I mean, more of a cross-cultural ministry in another land potentially and everywhere we went 26 countries we kind of said lord is it this is it here uh is it belarus <laughs> and we never heard a yes but we we loved it we loved crossing cultures we loved engaging serving pastors everywhere we went so we came back feeling like we'd be really open to this we didn't find the setting but we'd be really open and we had served, uh, we had done a short-term mission in Malaysia uh, back when we were on staff at Harvard. And we'd loved Malaysia. We'd really enjoyed it. So we, we, we so when um, there came a po- of an inflection point at my employment at Fuller where, um, uh, because of Fuller's downsizing and different things I I did I learned you know there's not this contract is not going to be renewed uh no disappointment with my work just circumstances mm-hmm. and uh and so I we began really seeking God for could that be a an inflection point that could, it could be an invitation for us to uh explore um being in cross-cultural ministry in another country again and um, Malaysia just kept coming up for a series of reasons. And I met at, uh, some folks at a conference in Singapore in 2019 who said, come come work with us, come to Malaysia. And through a series of Zoom calls at, or Skype calls back then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I said yes to that. And then, you know, it was just the timing just couldn't have been more perfect. I just seemed to have a specialty in, you know, graduating and being on the job market in 2008 and then heading (laughs) into attempting to enter Malaysia in 2020. I don't know if you know, but it's it's ranked as one of the countries that closed hardest Oh no. Uh-uh. Yeah, they literally just were not letting anyone enter. They barely let their own citizens come back. Wow. Well, so what did you do? 20 months. So we we uh in June of 2020 we sold our cars, ended our jobs, gave away our dog. <laughs> oh no. Rented out our house and then couldn't couldn't come. We we had tickets in July. We canceled. We bought tickets for August, which we had to cancel. And then we stopped buying tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and we just, I we started teaching. So we were Zooming in at all hours of the night in California. We had committed to classes that, that we were teaching for two different schools here. And then, um, I mean, the great thing is, a lot of ministry really kind of exploded, especially for my husband. Mm-hmm. He was able to to teach rural pastors in India and networks of pastors, um, and that was extremely uh, satisfying and enjoyable for him. 
I didn't have as much of that happen. And partly because of that, and because I was just watching pastors struggle, I began to write a book. Mm. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, so we just, we lived in a little apartment that got provided in LA um, for several months. And then we committed, in, well, we couldn't really enter a country until we got vaccinated. But then when uh, we were doubly vaxxed, we headed to Thailand because um, that had opened. I mean, we, sort of. <laughs> we had to do a very, very strict quarantine in a hotel room for a week. And wow. they they had said, and then you'll be able to go all over Thailand. But cases spiked that week. And so they went into an extreme lockdown. So... <laughs> We were in Thailand, but we couldn't really, all the restaurants were closed, all the parks were closed, the churches were closed. So Thailand was uh, challenging. Yeah. But good in many ways. Uh, There were just a few people we were able to get together with at a safe distance um, who were just lovely. And um, so, yeah. Three months in Thailand, and then uh, with the assurance from folks in Malaysia, ever hopeful friends here who said, and by the end of that, for sure we'll be open. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is how we all thought about the pandemic at the time, right? (laughs) Yeah. So you you eventually made it, and and so now you're teaching, and you're, unless there's more to that story, don't let me catch you. Oh, well, I mean, I think the other piece that was, kind of interesting in retrospect is that the next place we went was Ukraine. Um, Oh, wow. And we went to Ukraine twice, including in January, um, just before the war broke out. Um, And we were uh, really grateful to be able to meet with the the, uh, IFES staff team nationally. They gathered and we just kind of helped them think through how could we set up a fund? What will you, how will you prepare? Just think through eventualities and pray with them and just be with them. Um, As it turned out really just three weeks before the the war broke out. So that's wild, right? Like that's, we don't think at least I don't, I, I don't, that hasn't been the case, at least for most of us. Um, I guess we've had some obviously wars in the middle East, but that's less so, uh, you know, it's very rare to kind of be there right before it happens, right? That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I love that. So very interesting. Um, I want to uh, let everybody know about your book because you you mentioned it, and it's called uh, "Resonate: How to Preach for Deep Connection." Right? People can get mm-hmm. that wherever. They get uh, their books. I've got links at halfwaythereapodcast.com as well. But like what, what, what would you say is like something that we talked a lot about preaching, but what, what was you for you kind of one of the things that as you're writing this, you were hoping to inspire uh, for preachers? Well, I wrote it in some ways as uh, I watched pastors struggling during the pandemic, I just think the, and that the, I think pastors are wired, they're caring, loving people who enjoy people, and the, a lot of, you know, the, the pandemic was just a lot of hard work without, and without a lot of that connection that really keeps pastors going, and so that was my heart, was just hearing how many pastors were quitting, or exhausted, or uh, not enjoying their work. And I, I wanted to just inject, so to speak, <laughs> um, a, a, all the, the phrases like a shot in the arm have taken a different uh, <laughs> uh, meaning with the vaccination and everything. But I wanted to give pastors a shot in the arm, an injection of hope and joy and some tools for maybe assessing where their preaching could be stronger, mm-hmm. where their connection points with themselves and God, with themselves and the word, with 
helping to bring their people into a deeper connection with God and with the word and even with each other. Um, I love your, your image of that preaching is a long conversation uh, with the word, with our people, we're walking together. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a lot of what inspired me to write. It was that was sadness at seeing the disconnect. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. I think that's kind of where I think if we think of it that way, we, we can imagine, we can reimagine some of the forms that we, that we take, right. Mm-hmm. Um, may not be a 45 minute one mm-hmm. person talking to many, but it can still serve the same purpose of having everyone to let's consider this passage together and what it might mean for us. And that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's, that's where the value is, I think. Yeah, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, Lisa. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story and uh, some of your work. I think that is really amazing. Friends, again, the book is called Resonate, How to Preach for Deep Connection. You can get it for yourself. If you're a preacher, get it for your pastor. Get it for for mm-hmm. your seminary student. I don't know, whoever uh, would be good. Definitely it's out there, and you should, you should check it out. Uh, Lisa, is there anything you want to leave us with? I think I would say hope. I feel like the, um, you know, when I'm on Twitter, which I try to limit, <laughs> I find that there, I mean, I think that the church in the U.S. is having a lot of reckoning right now with some um, abusive, toxic, there's there's a lot of house cleaning going on, and it's good, and it's needed, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, just painful uh processing going on at least that's the impression that one would get if one only read twitter (laughs) but then you know when i come for a visit and i see the way that my daughter's church is caring for my elderly mother who um Mm. you know we wouldn't be able to be here if we didn't know that my my daughter and son-in-law were doing that but that this small but just lovely vibrant community is uh, the, you know, the youth group is sending her birthday cards and, you know, just there's, you know, God is still at work through the mm. church to bless the world and uh, to be a light and a witness. And we are, by our love, we are uh, showing the truth of Jesus. And so don't be, you know, don't, be encouraged that um, good things are still happening through the church. So that that's, I guess, my, my word is that when we, you know, in the simplest, smallest of ways, when we try to, when we try to be the church for others, mm-hmm. God really does work. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I love that. It absolutely is true. The church, friends, is not that building we go to. We all know this, but it's you, it's me, it's your friends, it's the people of God. And uh, that's the tradition we get to be a part of. I love it. Thanks a lot for being here, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. It's a joy.